Good morning. God's grace and peace is ours in our Lord Jesus Christ. Today we're going to talk about the rudiments of true joy. What brings a true and lasting spiritual joy? There are lots of kinds of joy in our life, but there's only one true and lasting spiritual joy. And sometimes, since we're fallible human beings, we can get mixed up. So hopefully, we'll get some insight and some strength and wisdom today from the Word of God. Have the Bible open to Philippians 3 or the folder. We've got it printed for you, the verses we're going to look at. It's on page 9 in your folder. It'll appear on the screen in a few minutes. I can remember it like it was yesterday. A couple in their late 40s, early 50s came to see me. They wanted to talk about the fact that their daughter had gone away to college and met a young man that they weren't really excited about because she came home at Thanksgiving not practicing personal hygiene anymore, questioning all of the beliefs that they had shared all those years as they were rearing her, uh, had talking about this one young man like he was a god in her life. She had met him in town, and she was thinking about giving up all her goals that she had had, including her faith and her degree and everything, and they were just beside themselves. What are we going to do? I said, I don't know. We're going to pray. That's what we're going to do. And we prayed. And that hour passed, and actually I got distracted, and a couple months passed before I asked again about it, and I saw Dad and Mom here, and I asked. I said, what? what's going on? I thought of it. What's going on? Is everything okay? Dad got a big smile. I forgot to tell you. She was in the student union building. She met this great kid from a great family who's an accounting major. He has a, a Christian and shares her beliefs, and she dumped that other guy. I went, Phew. So lesson? If someone's got a bad lover, the best way to fix it is introduce a better lover to them. <laughs> it's a little deeper than that. It is really an illustration and you are the girl, and the other lover is your ego. And you've been in love with yourself, your ego, since the day you were conceived, but it showed up to us the day you were born. And unwittingly, your parents, your aunts and uncles, and your grandma and grandpa especially, they helped foster your self-love, that you were the center of the universe, and that things ought to go your way, and that everybody's at your beck and call. And you fell in love with yourself deeper. And really, because of all the temper tantrums, pity parties, uh, reaction formations that you've done in your life because you didn't get your way, or the anxieties you've had because, it, because you're afraid you're going to lose what you want. For me, you, uh, you've shown us for a long time that you're struggling with love for yourself. I know that because I have that same lover in my life. But the best way to help anyone is to introduce you to a better lover. And that's what happened to your soul when you met Jesus Christ and believed in him. He became a better lover than yourself. And you like being with Jesus. That's why you're here today, I bet. Maybe a couple of you are just dragged here by someone who loves Jesus. And they want you to love him too. But most of you are here because you love him. And you know the peace and the power and the joy and the joy and the joy and the joy that it gives you in your life. And so if you're feeling a little joyless, you like to get to church because you expect it to give the joy back. 
And we try in our hymns and other things, but we don't always do great at giving you joy on the surface. But if we give you Jesus, we give you true joy. And if anyone tries to tell you that there's a better way, they're actually going to be carrying you back into your ego. They think there's a better lover than Jesus Christ. And they're going to be causing you to love yourself again. Oh, man, is there a lot of religion based on self? There's Eastern religion that's the mysticism and the, 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 the getting mystically close to God yourself. There's philosophy. You become wise so you can kind of walk above all your problems in the wisdom of whatever you can master for your own self. All that Eastern thought. There's moralism. Shows up in Judaism and Islam where you keep the rules. And many Christians kind of do this too. Professing Christians, if you, if you stay real religious and keep it all up, you can feel good about yourself and you can find joy in your religion. Ah, but it's all the old lover. The Apostle Paul was a Jew. He was a great Jew. He was a born and bred freak of nature Jew. <laughs> My kids and I talk about that. They gave me that name, Freak of Nature, for uh, professional football athletes. Dad, they're freaks of nature. They're so amazingly athletic. Well, Paul was an amazingly athletic religious person, born and bred an Israelite of the tribe that still survived to his day, the, of the two faithful tribes around Jerusalem when the rest had gone astray. Benjamin. A Hebrew of Hebrews, trained as a religious Pharisee by a father who trained him from little on up. Be like he was a preacher's kid, and then he just went into it, and the training got deeper and further. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees, a religious man, offering God service by chasing after the Christians who would dare speak against the temple and having them put to death. And he was full of himself. And his own view, his own religion, and his own reputation, and his own clout, and his own faith. And God met him on that road. It's in Acts, recorded in the Bible in Acts chapter 9. And he knocked him off his horse in the bright light. And he said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus. And that moment, Saul met a better lover. And had God, Jesus, not forced himself into Saul's life, there was no talking to him. Just like those parents wringing their hands, there's no talking to her. If God had not brought Jesus, there was no change in that man's mind. But Jesus struck him, knocked him off his horse, and took away his sight instantly. Just close your eyes, try to keep them closed for a day. Whew. Changes your life completely. Three days, laying on a bed, not knowing if he'll ever see again. Waiting for God to send somebody to his side, the one that knocked him off the horse and blinded him. And he sent Ananias. And Ananias said, you know why you're in this shape, Saul? Because you're a fallible, sinful human being. And you're full of yourself. And you're forgiven. And if you'll get up, trusting in the grace of the one who knocked you off the horse instead of knocking you into hell, you will see again, and we'll baptize you and wash away your sins. And that's what happened. 
He believed the love of the God who knocked him off his horse and took everything away. And he got baptized. And he believed from that day forward that his sins were washed away. So Jesus took away everything that was the old Saul, his clout, and everything that was the old Saul, his guilt. His good stuff and bad stuff, Jesus took it all away and replaced it with himself. And Saul was in love with Jesus Christ. And he would defend his lover of his soul and proclaim him as the lover of all souls no matter what happened because he would be loyal to the one that really, truly made him, saved him, and promised him eternal life. And then he went on a journey and another journey and another journey talking to people as much as he could about Jesus, the lover of souls. And when he went and he told people, you're sinners like me and Jesus takes all your pride away and all your guilt away and he gives you himself as your savior by dying on the cross rising again and announcing that to you he saw people fall in love with Jesus and so he would leave behind a church the church means the old word means the ones grouped together he'd leave behind a church he'd say now you guys meet together a lot I'm leaving I'm going to go do this in another town and that was the church And one place that he did that was Philippi. And man, after Paul left, did they have joy. Not joy in their accomplishments, their trophies, their awards, or getting what they wanted. Not ruined by their guilt and sorrow that would steal their joy from those things, but a joy in God, in the Lord, that's actually very protective of your soul and your joy, even if things are going poorly over here. They had joy in the Lord. And time passed. And Paul's not there. And he's not putting his sermons out on the internet. (laughs) And teachers came to town that knew their Bibles really well, the Old Testament. And they said they were Christians. But they said they grew up like Paul, a Jew, a very good Jew. And that if you believe in Jesus and that you got converted from growing up pagan, you believe in Jesus, you also, Jesus wanted you to be a Jew. And that meant... Stop eating pork and men get circumcised and all the other 600 ceremonial laws you had to start keeping. Historians called these people Judaizers, making people Jews that were Christians, but they didn't call themselves that. They thought they were the old-time religion. Paul, in the meantime, had gone on to other places and got himself arrested doing good deeds down in Jerusalem. It's all recorded in Acts, the uh, fifth book of the Bible. He got himself arrested and A long saga, threats on his life, chained to Roman guards on a boat going across the Mediterranean in the winter when they really shouldn't be sailing. They shipwrecked and floated in the sea for three days, almost died, floated up to shore on an island called Malta, trying to build a fire to keep warm. He got bit by a poisonous viper that almost killed him. Then they made it to Rome, and Caesar's, really, this peon Paul in his Roman Empire just kept him there under house arrest for two years. And while he's there, these bad teachers come through the churches, Galatia, Colossians, the, the Colossae, right? Ephesus, and Philippi. And they start teaching them they've got to be Jews. And Paul knows that if they go back, these Gentiles wouldn't be going back to anything. They think it's new and better if they go back to Judaism that they're going back to the old lover, human-centered rather than God and Christ-centered religion. And so he writes, Rejoice 
in the Lord, not in your religious and your religiosity. Rejoice in the Lord. And then, what's really cool, I'm about to read it to you now, or, and you can follow along. It's really cool. he's, he's using first-person singular, I, 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 I. But he's saying, look, you guys are this way. You're being tempted to get into all this for yourselves. But actually, I'm going to show you that those guys that are teaching you, I was more Jew than all of them, and it's all garbage compared to Jesus. And so, listen to Paul and I want him to lead you away from whatever garbage you've been trying to find your joy in, your true spiritual joy. Philippians 3. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. If someone thinks that he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, regard to the law, a Pharisee, as far as zeal, I persecuted the church. As for rightness, righteousness based on keeping the law, faultless. Nobody could tell me that I was breaking the law. I did better than all of them. But whatever were gains to me, my heritage, my ability to keep the law, my pharisaical knowledge, whatever was a gain to me, I now... Consider loss for the sake of Christ. He knocked me off the horse. He changed my whole life. And now I was one of them peoples I was persecuting. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. You're sitting in church. You hear about Paul all the time. He's famous. In his mind, he had lost everything. He was destitute. He lived with that feeling. He lost his heritage. He lost his family. He lost his degree, his clout, all of that. And he's just this old itinerant missionary writing letters from being chained in Rome to a guard waiting to see if he's going to get killed by Caesar. Jesus took away everything that was his old life and gave him Jesus, which was everything anybody needs or wants. To have true spiritual joy. So he goes, rejoice in the Lord. Don't let those teachers come to town and teach you religion will replace that. You get all into who you are religiously. You're going back to the old lover. I think that a lot of you, maybe I could say maybe in this room, 90% of you, maybe more, maybe 95% of you, you've heard this gospel so much, you can just fold your arms and say, yeah, this is where the preacher says we're okay with God. He died for our sins. I didn't, I came in here, I didn't think I was working my way to heaven. Why is he talking about that again? I'll tell you why. Because I'm a sinner with you, and we act like, in relationships to people, that we still are looking for a righteousness of our own when we get defensive, and I do that. When we get self-pity about anything that's happened in our life, and I do that. When we get selfish and competitive at the expense of other people. When we pine away about an ill-fated word said to us 20 years ago. Or something somebody did a long time ago. And you know when we say it's the principle of the matter. Usually it's because principally it was me that they did it to. Because I don't care as much about other people as I do about my love or self. My ego. 
You see, often we are, we are, knowledge-wise, religiously, we are connected to God through grace, but functionally, we are self-righteous. And when we worry about our race, (laughs) our gender, our people in our age group getting slighted, we worry about it, the old lover, right? I just, you can make a long list. I think I made a short one. You can make so many things an idol in your soul instead of Jesus, like another person, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a leader in your life, and expect them to give you all that that God gives. You can make your school your idol. True story. Yesterday, someone said to me, I'm going to go home and erase the DVR. I found out, oh, you lost. I graduated from there. I'm not even going to watch the game. I never watch the games they lose (laughs) because I'm a happier man around the house with my family when my team loses, but I don't watch the game. So I only watch the games they win. That's knowing yourself, isn't it? That's knowing what your idol is. Put it this way. An idol is anything you'd get angry about this moment if God took it away, even if it was a spouse. Remember that stark word that was said over here that was Jesus? Unless you hate mother, father, son, or daughter more than me, you're not worthy of me. Hurt? Crushed? Big hole in your life? Yes. Angry with God? Foul. Now, you've got to work through your anger. We all have anger with God. That's why I'm up here preaching about it when he takes things away, right? But you work through it this way. I count Christ as everything, especially if I'm in a Christian family and the one that I lost that I love and I'm angry about is in heaven. I'm going to see him again. And that's the salve. Oh, here's a good one. You remember uh, when Chad was talking about throwing things away that weren't important anymore up here to, with the kids? He had that wastebasket and he's throwing things away. The neat people in this room are going, yes, throw it, throw it. Throw it, because neatness can be your God if God brings a messy person into your life. Because you've got to throw out your neatness in order to love, to leave room for them, and still be happy together. See, so even neatness can be clutter. Talk about that over lunch today. Your good name. It's been many moons ago. I don't want you to worry about it at all, but it's a great example uh, one Sunday, someone came up to me after the 8 o'clock service and said, Pastor, I'm sorry. I said, what are you sorry about? Well, one of our members put out a raggy email to the whole congregation and put send between 8 and 9 a.m. on Sunday morning, criticizing you. Now I've got to go through the next two hours, right? And God has taught me through that, and I'm not good at it. I have to wrestle with it. Even my name can be my God. That I have to just leave it out there, right? Paul said, you Corinthians, this is Philippians, but in Corinth, in the letter to the Corinthians, he said, you're like kings, we're the scum of the earth. People talk bad about us all the time. He left, when he said here, I gave up all things, he gave up his reputation. What is it you're willing to hang on to instead of just losing everything for the sake of Christ? Our health. I'll serve God as long as I'm healthy, Right? I'm really happy when a baby's born healthy, too. 
But I've heard people say, just as long as they're healthy, who cares whether it's a boy or girl? Well, what does that say to the parent who's born with a child with an exposed spine? Just as long as it's healthy. Are you kidding me? All things, all things are rubbish. Except what? Jesus. And what, as you go through life, whether it's your first week or your last five years, as you go through life, you go through this thing with God that he's constantly saying, I'm everything and everything else is nothing. I'm everything and everything else is nothing. Where you were born going, I'm everything and everything comes to me or else I rattle the cage and scream at my parents. Right? And it's moving you to, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. You are everything. So you can say while you're chained up, thinking you're going to die, rejoice in the Lord. That's what Paul said. I'm going to read the rest. Go to that last paragraph. I consider everything garbage. And he means garbage. Sometimes that's translated other to context, manure. That I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Jesus Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. There is only one saint canonized by heaven, and that's Jesus Christ. And he is our righteousness, and he did everything for us, and he took all our sins away, and he put us in that place of being forgiven and esteemed and loved in the sight of God the Father. And by faith, we are right in God's sight. Everything else religiously is garbage. I want to, and now I'm going to just quickly, as fast as I can, tear apart verse 10 and 11 with you. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the participation in his suffering. To know Christ is to know that the fact that that man lived and died and rose again, resurrected, brings to me a hope that is, makes me joyful in all circumstances. Another place, Paul said, if Jesus Christ had not risen from the dead, remember the rest of the phrase? Our faith, I, I like the way my, one of my childhood pastors said it, our faith is futile. Our faith is a waste of time if he had not risen from the dead. So when Paul says, I want to know the power of his resurrection, he goes, I want to know the power to live a joyful life while I'm in chains because I believe I'm going to rise from the dead just like he is. I want to be able to face death. One of the men in Bible class today said, I just don't know what's going to happen if they ever put a gun to my head and say, deny Christ. He's, Paul says, I want to know that, that I'm going to rise again, that I can face life and death, knowing the power of the resurrection to give me joy and hope. And he said, I want to be like him in his suffering. Some might say, he's, Paul's saying he wants to be like him in his death, because that's the next phrase, like dying on the cross. I think he means if it comes to that, maybe. But what he really means, like him in his suffering, is I want to swim upstream believing in God's love like Jesus trusted the love of God the Father. And I know that'll make me weird to a world that's trying to get their portion while they can. I will be in this world but not of it. And I'll be weird. I won't give in to a boyfriend or girlfriend that pressures me to be intimate because of Jesus. I won't give in to greed and lie. For my boss, because of Jesus. I'm going to swim upstream. There's thousands of applications to suffer with Christ. And I'm going to say that Jesus is the only way. 
And if somebody asks me, do you really think that believing in a guy who died and rose again 2,000 years ago is the way that someone is saved? You say, yes. And if you'll just give me time, I'll explain how deeply I feel that and why. I want to suffer with Christ, Paul said. Jesus said, if you believe in me and you tell people that, the world doesn't like that because they have to give up everything for me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Paul says, I want to know that kind of suffering that I stand on because I love him. He's my lover of my soul. I've met him. He's my Savior. Being like him in his death, not necessarily on the cross, but what was his attitude in Gethsemane? Whatever is your will, Lord. That's what Jesus was like in the face of death. Whatever is your will, whatever is your will, I trust you. That's what Paul wanted. I don't want to be telling God anymore how to run my life. I'm done with that. I don't love myself. I don't love my opinion. I just want God to run it. That's hard. But it's what Paul wanted. That's his purpose in life. Do you know you have purposes that are lower than that? You'll live a life of anxiety because you know sooner or later they'll be taken away. All of them will. Because they're this passing world. And then he says, finally, I want to, in one way or another, attain to the resurrection of the dead. What does he mean? He doesn't mean, well, I might perhaps make it to heaven. He actually means, it, whether it's through martyr's death or living out my life, going through the slow dying process in a peaceful country like, we would say, like the United States where they're not killing us for being Christians. In one way or another, I want to live the Christian life, whichever way God takes me, whatever his plan is, I want to make it all the way to the end and not give it up at the last few moments. And I want to make it to eternal life through knowing Christ and trusting in him. When my health is gone, when my opportunities are gone, when my life is gone, I will say, blessed be the name of the Lord, I'm going to heaven. Okay. I want to just say, go and sin no more. You got Jesus back. But this is, the, this is the problem you and I have. The old lover is going to come calling. Long ago, before there were cell phones, Facebook, Internet, texting, when I was dating my wife, and I know that any of you that knows her knows that I married up. And I was dating her and knew I was dating up. I had had a girlfriend before her that was really not that good for me. Truth is, I probably wasn't very good for her either. Six months into my relationship with Mary, I was at home at my parents' home. Remember when we all had one phone in the house and it had a wire attached to the wall? The phone rang and this ex-girlfriend was on the other line. Hadn't talked to her in probably a year. She was just checking up putting out a line seeing if the old boyfriend was still around and I said got anxious and I said I've met somebody new that I went to junior high and high school with and we're seriously dating and I hope to marry her and I hope your life goes very well I got to go are you glad that I answered that way Mary don't answer that (laughs) but that old lover came back right but the truth is with my ego that old lover I don't hang up so well. 
I say, ah, I like to have a pity party today. I want to feel sorry for myself. I want to be mad about that. I want to defend myself. I want my good name. I want my success. I want to keep my possessions. I don't like it when Jesus says, I got to give up everything for him, right? The old lover keeps coming back. And I think yours does too. I know it does. And I know why God put Paul's story right there in front of us. So when you're hearing the old lover like a siren, not the kind on a car, but, you know, the ancient poem, the sirens that were calling the Odyssey ship over to the cliffs, like a siren calling you, that you'll remember, no, that's a lover that wants to replace Jesus. And when I've got Jesus, I've got everything. And I will be happy and joyful. And when you're having a pity party, realize you're the reason you have a pity party. Not somebody else. You're having it. And you are in love with yourself. And fall in love with Jesus again and trust that it's all going to work out for your good. These are the rudiments of true joy when a man in chains says, Rejoice in the Lord. Amen.